0: Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. The scripture today is from Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from other shepherds, He will separate the people one from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and his goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? When do we see you sick in prison? And go and visit you. The king will reply. I tell you the truth. Whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers of mine. You do for me. Then he will say to those on the left. Depart from me. You are cursed. In the eternal life. In the eternal fire prepared for you. For the devil and his angels. For I was hungry. And you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I'll tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life.
1: Thanks, Steve. That's a heavy, heavy passage this morning. I've not always been the studious academic that I know you uh, take me for. Um, When I was at school, um, I was pretty rubbish at homework. Um, I'd start the first day of every year with a a great determination to do my homework the moment I got it. And I'd tell my mum that sort of thing, Mum, this year. This is the year. I'm going to do all my homework as soon as I got it. And then I just did nothing. Basically, it's amazing Or any GCSEs. And in fact, I hardly got any. Um, but there was one particular moment in uh, year five, the fifth year, not year 11, the fifth year, secondary schools, it should be called, when um, I was given a maths Project and, uh, and it, was, it was quite big, it was quite a big deal. And, uh, and my math teacher was the scariest woman on the planet. Mrs. Webster could terrify even the thuggiest thug at Mayfield High School in Dagenham, and, and that wasn't an easy task. Uh, routinely reduced uh, uh, thugs to a trembling mess in the corner. She screamed at them. She was also my favorite teacher for that reason, frankly, because I felt safe there. Um, but she'd given us this maths project in year 11, fifth year secondary, and, uh, and I hadn't done a single Bit of it, it got to Sunday night, eight o'clock, and it suddenly occurred to me it had to be during the next day. And like a fool, I'd left it to the last minute. In fact, I hadn't done a single bit, and so I sat at the dining room table and I worked until three o'clock in the morning on this mass project. And in that time, I experienced a plethora that's a good word of uh, every possible negative emotion that you could experience as a human being. I went from rage to anger, to sadness, to pity. For one point I cried, the next minute I smashed the table with my head as hard as I possibly could. I was consumed with the phrase, why didn't I do this earlier? Over and over and over. Now I did get it done, but we'll stop there. Can you imagine, and by the way, for the record, I should tell you, I've got a B in maths in my GCSE, um, but I don't really know how. <laughs> Thank you, Uh, and we won't talk about the rest. Anyway, um, but can you imagine the same emotions that a person, some, will go through when having left the most important decision of all life to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, having left it, From day one to the final day of their lives, ignoring those prompts of the Almighty. When the Almighty says, come on, I want you, the Holy Spirit puts all the conviction on their heart. Having ignored the sermons, the messages, the uh, pleas to attend church, having had all those things, rejected God to follow their own desires. Can you imagine the emotions some will feel when after their death they stand before the throne of Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, and realize that it is too late the passage that Steve read to us a moment ago presents us with a reality check a reality check about the future and one that needs serious consideration not just later but now hence my uh, slightly more uh, direct push about baptism when God calls us we mustn't wait to decide we must decide there and then But this presents us with a reality check about what will happen at the end of all things and what it will be like to stand before Jesus Christ when he sits before us on his throne. Chapter 25 verses 31 to 46, which Steve just read to us, is both an amazing passage but also a terrifying one at the same time. And like I do most Sundays, let me reread it to you. And you may want to shut your eyes and imagine, like we did last week, imagine the throne of the Almighty. Imagine seeing Jesus Christ, the ascended, glorified, risen Jesus, having returned from heaven and gathered the world to himself, seated on his rightful throne. Let me read it to you again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in and needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Enter the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I knew clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when, did, when were you hungry and thirsty and a stranger and needing clothes or ill or in prison and we did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I thought since it was Father's Day, we'd have a nice uh, challenging passage to look at together. But this is both amazing and terrifying. And no doubt, some of you watching from home or even in this room will be having a whole load of emotions as I've read words like eternal and punishments and this judgment by Christ at the end of history and all humanity. No doubt, many things will go through you. And so it's important before we say anything else to acknowledge why some of those feelings will be swirling around your heart and your mind. And a couple of things that we need to uh, keep in mind as we come to difficult passages in the Bible because there are many and the problem with Christians is they cherry pick the bits they like often and we gloss over the bits that are uncomfortable. But God inspired all of it and it was immoral and sinful to gloss over the bits we don't like and then only read out the bits that we find easy. That puts us above God's word, not the other way around. The first thing you need to have in mind when you come to a passage like this is that God is love. That may sound strange. We live in a society now that, it's, that doesn't like justice and punishment when people do heinous crimes we say well we need to understand why they are the way they are when in years gone by we would have said that act deserves punishment deserves it and people would be happy with that we've changed our approach to justice and our definition of it but God is love and when we come to difficult passages and there are many we need to have in mind the cross of Christ When you don't understand why God does something the way he does it, and the strength of which he does it, you need to remember that God is good, that God is love. That's what the Bible says. And actually, you need to have in your mind the cross of Calvary, the pain of Jesus, the nails, the thorns, the crown of thorns on his head, the rejection of his followers, that on the cross he cried, Father, forgive, showing love even to Judas. This is serious, this judgment of all mankind. But the cross shows us God's heart. As 1 Peter says, he wishes that none would perish, that all would be saved. God has already gone to the most extreme lengths so that no human being necessarily need face the condemnation for their own sin. And actually, that's what you must always come back to. I remember years ago, going to Leventhorpe uh, for their RS lesson. It was only year 10s. And uh, one guy swanned in thinking that I was a fool and, uh, because I was a Christian. And he was an atheist. And he could ask me really tough questions. And he asked me about good people and bad people and heaven and hell. And what did I think? And I got a bit of paper. Or it was a bit the whiteboard. And I drew a little tiny dot in the whiteboard. And I said, If this is the sum of all knowledge in all of the universe. That little dot is how much I know. And how much you know? And in fact, that's too big. God knows all of it. (laughs) And so the bits I know is so small. But because I get to know God who knows all of it, I get to have a trust for the bits that I don't know. And so there's so much I don't understand. There are bits I read in the Bible that I think, wow, that's hard to read. That's hard to get my head around. But rather than try and grasp more knowledge so I understand it perfectly, what I do is go to the cross of Jesus Christ and i remind myself of the character of god the god that allowed his son to be crucified for evil sinful rebellious people is not a god who is unkind not as a god is not a god who is unfair but a god who is a god of love and so this final judgment is done with love and justice they go together second thing we need to have in our minds is that this is not unfair this moment where god jesus separates humanity into these two groups is not unfair God is not like us. He is not like a human ruler who rules with a lust for power and might and wanting status. God has all those things without even trying. They're in his being. God does right, the Bible says, all the time. And when God judges every human being as he will, he does it with perfect vision, perfect holy vision. He will not judge anybody incorrectly. And when we stand there, we will say amen to everything he says On that last day. And then the last thing to say is that we often avoid difficult passages and similar passages, but Jesus never did. Jesus spoke lots about his own death, about the end, about the future of humanity, judgment, and things like that, but we often gloss over them. And because we do that, when we are then confronted with these passages, it causes us to react negatively as if we've never read them before. This is the final judgment of all humanity. And why don't we talk about it? Because it's quite serious, it's very serious. It's, in fact, the most serious thing. It is mainstream Christian belief. Do we not mention these things to our friends and family because of pride? Andrew went to the London dungeon yesterday, and uh, she was telling me that there was a, a woman dressed in a strange sort of monk, monk type outfit who sort of got them all to queue up, but just sort of stood there and stared at everyone, you know, how they do. And then at one point, she just shouted at the top of her voice, Repent! Are we worried that if we speak of the judgment of people's sin and heaven and hell, that people will think we're as crazy as people like that, the caricature of the, in, the intense Christian? Maybe we fear. Maybe we fear that we'll lose our hard-earned reputation, that people will just stop liking us. And well, I have news for you all. If you follow Jesus Christ, many people will stop liking you. It is hard to be a follower of Jesus, but it is the best thing you will ever do. And perhaps it's just simply an immaturity from us. We don't like, so we don't talk, and we move forward. But imagine you were on an aeroplane that was going to crash. You were flying above the Atlantic Ocean, and you knew the plane was on its way down to a watery explosion. That doesn't help me, because I hate flying. And you knew where the parachutes were. I know you can't jump off a 747 with a parachute, but let's just say you could. And you sat, and there were three rows of people who were airplane crash deniers. Would you worry about whether they thought you were a fool or not? Even if they had headphones on and sleeping masks on and didn't even believe that anything was going wrong in the aeroplane, you wouldn't worry about a second that you would drag them out of their chairs. You would say, stick a parachute on, you're going to die. But yet, when it comes to an eternity, we're more reticent than the actual natural disaster and the dangers to people. So let's get to the passage um, and go through it together quickly. Um, There are four parables that Jesus tells uh, leading up to this section that Steve read to us. Four parables uh, from Matthew 24, 42 to 25, verse 30. Four parables that really emphasize uh, two key messages. The first is to watch for the return of Jesus Christ and prepare for for the return of Jesus Christ. These parables make it clear that Jesus could return at any moment. He could return this afternoon to earth. He could come with his, glory, his glorious angels and he could return from heaven to judge the living and the dead. We assume it will be in a million years' time, but that's not naturally how we should be. We should wake up every morning thinking this could be the day that Jesus comes to take us home and judge the earth. And on that day, we too will be filled with regret for all the people we haven't spoken to. But these parables are by way of preparation. He's coming, so get ready. Last week we looked at Revelation chapter 4 on God the Father on the throne. And what happens in terms of the chronology is God the Father's on the throne. After Jesus' death and ascension, everything is slowly put underneath his feet, under his authority. At the end of all things, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he will take the world and everything and he will give it back to his Father. And he, will be, and he himself will be underneath the authority of God the Father, and God will be all and in all. Everything will be right as it should have been at the beginning. And the judgment of mankind is part of that process of everything being put back in right, the right order and under the feet of Christ so God can be almighty and God over everything. So two things to focus on this morning. The first is what's not being said. When you read this passage, it will be very easy to look at this um, This passage and think what Jesus is teaching is that you're saved by your works. You know, whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me, therefore you're punished. What you did do for the least of these, you did for me, therefore you get to go to heaven. But that isn't actually what Jesus is teaching here. It's easy to read that judgment is based on behavior. Rather, the message of this passage is that the behavior of these people reveals their heart. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. It shows by their actions what they think of Jesus. What you didn't do for these people, you didn't do for me. You love me or you don't love me. You love me or you hate me. Simple as that. So it's not saying good works get you into heaven, and if you've done anything bad, you're doomed to go to hell. Rather, simply the reverse that how we behave tends to reveal our hearts. Verse 40, Jesus mentions, my brothers and sisters, and most commentators agree he's not talking about all poor, struggling people in prison, but how God's people are treated particularly. And I love the, uh, the tone uh, between the two groups when I read this. And this is my imagination, so you can disagree with me. I feel like there's a humility to the righteous. When Jesus says, uh, when you fed me and clothed me, there's almost like Schindler's List at the end when he has the pin and says, this is worth 10 Jews. My car is worth 100 Jews. It's a humility. When were you ever in prison? We didn't do anything for you. We did nothing for you, Lord. But the unrighteous, in my mind, it's almost like a bit of a teenage attitude. What? Well, if we knew you were in trouble, we might have helped. What's your fault? It's your fault, most. When were you ill? When did we see you like that? In my mind, there's a definite difference in how they respond. But this passage should challenge God's people because actually you can look and sound and seem the part, but yet not have saving faith. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers! It's not what we do that gets us into heaven. It's our heart and our loving of Jesus Christ. We're commanded to love God with all our heart, mind and soul. Do we do that? do we do that? We can say and do all the right things and look the part, but real faith could still elude you, and only you know if you've given your whole life to Jesus Christ. We're running out of time, but 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 to 21, which I haven't got time to read, emphasizes this point even more heavily, that you are simply not a Christian if you hate your brother and sister. Wow, how many Christians have hate in their hearts? How many Christians come to church and can't stand the person sitting next to them? But 1 John 4 makes it very clear, there is no love of God is not in you if you hate. Our actions reveal our hearts. So what is being taught well, four things. The first is the kingship of Jesus Christ. Verse 31 to 32 lays it out. The son of man, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. Those, that terminology, "Son of Man," takes us back to Daniel, that we mentioned last week. The, his glory comes in glory. Has angels. He has a throne. The gathering of the nations before him presents. Jesus is the king of kings. This is the end of all human history. And what we see from this teaching is the only throne that will remain will be that of Jesus Christ. All human self-glory of the nations has faded to nothing. Only God's glory will be left. He is the only king that will outlast humanity and outlast history and eternity. He is the only one who is truly king. And the end times teaching shouts this at us. Heaven's glory and the heaven sorry, Revelation speaks later on that the glory of the nations will be brought into heaven and submit to God's own glory. He is the king of kings, and we too should submit to him. The second thing we learn is about our own inheritance as God's people. Verse thirty four Then the king will say to those on his right, Come ye who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. When we stand before Jesus Christ, we will have nothing to fear, but it will be a time of great joy. Christians fear the last day, and I understand why, but we will stand before our King, and he will reward our faith. He will reward our perseverance, and for us, it will be a wonderful day. Our King saying, come home, this is your reward. Jesus spoke of the food that won't spoil in John chapter 6, and this is it. And we must make sure that we focus on the kingdom as our reward, not the promises of a world of riches and glory and career and things like that, that will fade and will not be there on the last day. This is our true inheritance. This is what it's really all about, securing our place in heaven. This is the goal for the Christian. Number three, This teaches us the cost of rejecting Jesus Christ. Verses 41 to 46, it is an eternal cost. It's painful to read, but this is the reality. God is not optional. You accept him or you reject him. The consequences of this passage are great for those who choose him and awful for those who don't. I remember speaking to a Christian worker of a nearby church a long, long time ago. You won't remember this person. And we had a conversation about our children. Mine, mine two were very young at the time. And she said, well, if they grow up and they decide not to be Christians, that's okay because that's their choice. Don't you agree? And I said, are you kidding? I want my two to be passionate believers in Jesus Christ through the day they die because that's the only choice they should be making And I will not entertain for a second this weird modern notion that that's all right because that's what you chose. No, I love you. I will never rejoice in someone not choosing Jesus Christ. And then number four, the message here is one of vindication as well. It's a sobering passage, but for the believer, it is wonderful. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. Verse 34, he speaks of a reward. But verse 40, there's a recognition When you did this, when you did that, I saw it. I saw it and I'm going to reward it for eternity. And that's wonderful. How many of you and me uh, serve God and we wonder if anyone notices? Well, trust me, he will and he does. And so just a couple of thoughts to finish uh, because time's got to the end of us. I felt led to speak on this this morning and because I knew it's a tough passage, there is always that worry of what will people think. But I also know this book, is more important than anything else. And so I'll preach this sermon with confidence because it's the word of God. But number one, God is on the throne. But what does that mean for us? We need to develop that theme from last week. What does this passage mean for you in your daily lives? What does it mean for every choice you make, not just choosing Jesus as your savior? Do we feed the hungry? Do we love the lost? Do we visit those imprisoned? Will he vindicate us for our actions on the final day? Many of us attend church. Many Christians don't engage with the holiness and the seriousness of God. If we're not careful, we can, without passages like this, reduce God to something like the Andrex puppy, who's ever so pleased when we give him a little bit of our time. Nothing could be further from the truth. He loves you passionately, but he expects our obedience. Then number three. I grew most when I was first a Christian, with a healthy understanding of the sovereignty of God. I remember when I was 11 years old, I would not long been a Christian, and I had a dream. And in this dream, I've probably told you before, it was like static on a TV set, and a voice spoke in my dream, saying simply, abide by my rules. It wasn't telling me it will all be all right, but God was telling me in that moment, my expectations are high for you. Do as you're told, live my way. When I engaged with the book of Revelation at 13, uh, it terrified me. But it made me want to live better because I saw the awesomeness of God and I wanted to please my King and Saviour. I remember once going to Elim Pentecostal Church in Ilford with my brother uh, when I was first a Christian. I followed him everywhere for a bit, bless him. And uh, she must have only been about 17, 18, 19, this this young woman. And uh, she got up to speak about the end and following Jesus. And she said, one day Jesus will return. And she simply said at the end of her talk, if Jesus returned today, would you be ready to meet him? And she said, I am. And got off the stage. And I thought, wow. Are you ready to meet Christ if he comes home, comes back to get us this afternoon? What things in our lives need to be got rid of ASAP? Who do we need to tell so that if he did come back to us today, they would have heard the good news of Jesus Christ? Lots to think about. So let's pray um, as we come to the end of our service. But let's just pray for a moment or two. I think we've got more time than we realize, actually. And just think of all that's been said. It's a challenging passage, but maybe ask yourself, just here as we shut our eyes, why is this a challenging passage for you? Why don't if you don't like it, if you've found this, uh, if you've reacted against this, if you've found this too much, too intense, why is that? Ask Lord to reveal that to you. Is it, is it an immaturity? Have you, is your faith kind of a side thing? Do you not engage with God's word? Do you not trust God's word? Are you not submitting to the truths of God because they don't fit? I don't know. But just take a moment and just ask Lord, why does this, why does this wound me so much to hear this preached this morning? And as we stand, as it sit here, just think of that moment of standing before Jesus. Does it fill you with dread? Or does it fill you with hope? Knowing that you will see him face to face and that you will be rewarded and taken into heaven forever and ever and ever. Are you not sure which group you are be in? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Let's pray right now. Repeat with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you're God's Son. I believe you died and rose again. Forgive me for all that I've done that I shouldn't. Forgive me for turning my back on you too often. Forgive me for trying to have my spiritual cake and eat it. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my King. I will follow you all the days of my life, I promise. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. And I ask you into my life now. Amen. And then finally, as we leave this place in a moment, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for every decision that will be faced, you will face next week? Mundane stuff, big things. Will you make sure that the King of Kings is in a part of all of it? Will everything you decide honor him above all things? Will you throw away your crown and the throne that you've worked so hard to build? and submit to his alone. Father, I pray for your blessing on all of us now. As we get ready to go, Lord, lots to think about, Father, but we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is never meant to make life easy for us, but Lord, show us how easy it is to have life. Father God, so we commit all of this to you now in your name, for your glory, for the building up of your people, for the salvation of every lost soul in this world. We pray for our friends and our family, Lord, those who are broken, those who are just apathetic. Lord, we pray that this week you would give us the chance to speak the truth of salvation, Lord, for their good, their eternal good, and for the honouring of your name. We pray, Lord, that we would see our friends and our family, our loved ones, Lord, come to know you for the first time. May we put aside our pride and our reputations and our fear and our immaturity and serve you, Lord, by preaching the good news of Christ. It is the most important job any of us will ever have. And So, Lord, we lift all of this to you now.